welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Brian Murphy, who is Global Head of Learning Transformation at AstraZeneca and an award-winning L&D leader for his work at City. But before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. Thank you. Now let's get into it. Brian, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hi, David. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Brian, you're recognised as an industry-leading and award-winning L&D leader. This is the first time we've spoken, but I've been aware of your reputation and achievements for some years. Now, without wanting to make you feel uncomfortable so early on in the podcast, but whilst asking you to blow your own trumpet, what do you think differentiates you and your work? Well, you have you have made me a little bit uncomfortable by giving <laughs> me that introduction, so I'm flattered. Um, I think I was I was been thinking about this actually recently uh, because I've made I've recently made a change in in my career, and um, I think it's a mixture of timing and luck. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, the the work that myself and my the teams that I've led in the learning space um, have been doing really i think are seeking to the opportunity to deliver on where lnd should always have been mm. um and, and i'm sure we'll get into that later in the conversation and what i mean by that but i think there's never been a, a better time to be in lnd and i and i think we're just reaping the um, the rewards of the type of work that lnd really should always have been doing the, the business um environment means that that really it's a it's a fantastic time to to um to reposition learning in in uh, in the in the business context, so mm. I I I probably wouldn't overstate it. I, I would say that it's timing and luck, and um, uh, and maybe we'll get into a little bit around what I mean by by that in the course of this conversation. Yes, um, we certainly will, Brian. Uh, and because as you uh, as you've alluded to there, you're global head of L and D at AstraZeneca now, yes. and we'll, we will come to that part. But I think. Certainly for me, it was your work at City that brought you to the attention of myself and I'm sure of many. Can you describe what you achieved there? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, over the space of about five years, I, uh, I led learning and leadership development for City across the EMEA region, Europe, Middle East and Africa, as well as leading the uh, workplace learning uh, strategy globally. Um, I, I think we had a, as I said at the beginning, you know, around timing, we we everything sort of aligned well for, for me at City at the, during that time. We had a, a CEO, a regional CEO, who was really ambitious about um, the learning culture that he wanted to, to help create. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose the, the, the learning team I inherited was really, really hungry for change as well. They were um, some great folks, but really po- positioned as a training utility within the organization. So. We um, went through a, a number of years where we reinvented ourselves, basically, uh, making that shift to a team of um, more of performance consultants, marketeers, behavioral change consultants, rather than training uh, managers. And um, looking back, uh, it, it, was, it was great. We, we ended up, you know, I think, being successful in stimulating a real pull in the organization for learning. Um, developing a, a certain a, a greater learning maturity and learning culture, and we were able to track that as we went along as well. So I think um, certainly we ended up uh, winning some awards and, and doing and doing some good work, but it was very much a journey. And in an, 
by design, um, particularly in terms of first starting with ourselves and changing our own mindset and capability before then working with uh, HR and the business around um, modern workplace learning and, and how that should work uh, across the organization. So, yeah, we ended up um, reducing our spend in learning actually by 25%, but over the same period increasing our learner engagement by 30% and, um, and really being able to, to deliver a, a much more compelling value proposition for, for the bank. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great great journey and um, I, I was very lucky to have some, some really smart people working for me. You, you mentioned there and you've described uh, a lot of the changes that, that, are, that really are at the front of mind of, uh, of learning and development professionals, that, that uh, performance consulting uh, around um, mark elements, adding elements of uh, of marketing in there, uh, and being accountable for business results. Where did that come from in you? Seeing as this is a place that, as an industry, we are wrestling with now, and and clearly this is uh, this is something that you've been uh, at the forefront of for uh, for a few years now. Um, I, I think. I think as a profession, it's definitely, as you said, it's been moving in that direction. My my own personal. I guess there's a couple of things. One, I come from a, a business background, so I have a HRD background. I'm used to sitting around leadership tables, um, really not talking necessarily about HR topics, but around business topics of which the people agenda is, is, uh, is a big part. So I, I think my, my, when I came into the learning profession about six years ago, I, was, um, I, I sort of met a profession not just that city, but more broadly, I would argue, is going through a bit of an identity crisis and uh, really looking for to understand its its new role. And so, for me, thinking about it through the lens of the business, through a performance lens, um, and 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 thinking, bringing um, an orientation around marketing and and uh, these elements uh, became natural. I also became interested in following um, experts in the learning field who were probably a bit more. Progressive, and they themselves were also looking at these areas. So there was, I mean, in true social learning uh, style, I, I, I had the opportunity, I guess, to form an opinion um, uh, by 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 talking to other folks. Mm. Um, and I think marketing is an interesting area. You, you know, marketing twenty years ago, or probably where learning was now. You know, a lot of activity, a lot of money being spent, but not not a huge amount of analysis on measurement or business impact. Whereas you go in and talk to marketeers now, they're incredibly sophisticated. In, in what they do and how they work back from business impact. And, uh, and you know, I think uh, lots of lessons to be learned for us in, in our work. I, uh, so much of that resonates with, uh, with my experience, Brian. When, uh, when I was Director of Learning and Talent at Disney, I was exposed to conversations there that I really wasn't expecting. Uh, and what I mean by that is that when you've served the apprenticeship, uh, the learning and development apprenticeship in the classroom, you really aren't exposed to, and, and then also if I add in there that then you, you're involved in a training needs analysis or learning needs analysis, which really is a, a prioritizing and resource allocation exercise rather than a real performance enabler. Um, but doing that for 10 years and then being exposed at a senior level to, yeah, we now need to prepare an entire country to perform completely different roles with having zero churn and your team will help us. Or mm. uh, we are looking to integrate uh, several different function, functions across the business from a, uh, and have a, a, um, a more collaborative sales function, which meant that, that rather than uh, splitting this by division, 
you mm. will and having experts, you will have generalists, but they need to be aware of a, a whole portfolio of different products and services. And therefore, David, we'd like your team to help with that. You know, you step back and you think, mm. man, you can't do this in a training course. There isn't e-learning yeah. to do this. This is something far more structural and uh, and um, and there's a there's a cultural element there as well because the people who sold games and uh, and dvds were very different to the people who then sold consumer products and the like so it's it is a very very different type of conversation and what it comes down to you talk about the measures there no one was saying to me and just get everybody through it yeah. <laughs> they were saying to me we want people to actually be ready and what is it that you can do to help us to make sure that that they are ready and they're hitting the numbers really quickly. It's a yeah. very different type of conversation. I don't know if that resonates with you. It, it absolutely resonates with me, David. I, I guess it's what you're saying there reminds me of, of, of that struggle that we had at City where we had to nearly unlearn, um, especially the, the, our frontline learning colleagues had to really unlearn um, what they knew and, and to be agnostic of solutions. So they had to be relentless around focusing on what the performance gap was and really understanding the root cause analysis, and that was it. That was that needed to be their that needed to be their work up front, um, mm-hmm. because if you have a natural orientation to, um, and and many learning people are incredibly creative and and really smart, but we can um, be we can gravitate to what we know, and so I I, I guess with the team that I had, um, some of them really enjoyed instructional design. They 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 you know were very good at it and and liked that a lot. But we had to reorg and, and change our work around and be very much led by the business need and the business performance gap. And then we would solution architect accordingly, not, not the other way around. So there's a real discipline that, and it's not easy to do because sometimes the business also don't help themselves because they'll come and yeah. say, listen, we need training in ABC. And so the real skill is to, is to use that consulting skill to be able to sit down and go, great, let's, let's work through this together and really understand what we're solving for. And, and having, the, having the confidence to... To, to push back and and and, uh, and and really look for that conversation so um, it's it's uh, it's it's quite a change and mm. um, uh, you know we, we went through a bit of a journey at, at city to to really understand making sure we didn't fall into those um, th- those traps of, of going to solution too quickly and a traditional solution at that and, mm. and, and so we had um, quite a bit of um, upskilling around that. Well, I mean, some of the things we did just to, to fo- just to go further on that was we um, supported our learning advisors and performance consultants with a, a methodology and an approach that that they could use as a bit of a crutch to a process that they could follow, a consulting process they could follow. Um, there's ma- you know many out there, so it's not necessarily which one. It's, it's but to have something to follow, which provides a a structure to be agnostic to, uh, around what the solution should be. Um, but it meant that we had to unpick our whole operating model and, and rebuild the learning organization because we used to have a lot of generalists. And then we, we decided let's have, um, let's break down the, the, the process of, of how learning gets identified or the needs and the solutions and then deployment of that. Um, mm. And, it, you know, not for everybody, but, but most people actually enjoyed that. It brought a certain level of sort of professionalism to, to what we did. Um, but it's, it's a piece of change work really in, in effect. And, um, but I think the outcome you get will be higher quality learning outcomes, but greater business impact because you're solving for um, business 
gaps, performance gaps, rather than um, delivering, um, you know, training solutions because that's that's what the business necessarily asks for. And what you're describing there is, is from my experience and from the people that I'm speaking with on the podcast uh, who who have made that transition, is that the the first conversation or that conversation exploring what the actual need is mm. is perhaps the most critical element because in my opinion when we've in the past when we have separated or we've 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 been advised of a performance need and we by performance just to really drag this down into uh, into layman's terms this is people doing the work or trying to do the work and trying to get results so it's grounded in the 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 what people are in organizations to try to do a lot of the sometimes, and you know, the the old way would have been to translate those performance needs into learning needs, and mm. then from that learning need, aggregate common needs, and then develop standardized solutions. So by the time that they are, they come back down to the people who need them, they're largely unrecognizable from from the actual need. Mm. From if I understand correctly, Brian, you're talking about uh, a, a performance conversation around what is actually going on to understand what it is in the context in which people are performing, and then suspending any judgment about what that solution might look like because we are ingrained a lot of the time. I mentioned earlier the L and D, the typical learning and development or training and development um, apprenticeship from uh, from days of yore. Um, would have been in the classroom. And, and mm. a lot of the time it's about delivering programs, content or courses. From what I understand, if I'm, if I'm right there, you're, you're suspending that solutioneering until yeah. you fully understand what's actually going on and what needs intervention. Is that right? That, that's exactly it. And it's not, not easy to do because, and actually in fact, at AstraZeneca, we're probably in an even better position because our, our frontline learning, well, we don't have frontline learning people at the end, at the, at, in my team, we actually rely on um, talent and, uh, and learning folks who are even broader than just learning. And what it does allow is, is, to, is just to understand, well, what is the performance gap and what's causing the issue? And, mm -hmm. and therefore, what's the solution on the back of that? And very often it's not a learning solution, certainly not tra a traditional learning solution. It might be clarity, you know, usually it's just clarity around roles or responsibilities, or mm. there might be some issues around rewards, could be a culture issue, uh, manager capability, you know, there's a bunch of different things. And, and these things are complex and nothing is in isolation. It's always a part of a system. And so there will be discrete elements that come out of that, which fall into the learning space for sure. And then we can be, uh, we can look at that. But also the other thing is, you know, a lot of times it's just performance support that's needed. You know, yeah. um, people people just need better job aids to be able to to do a good job. You know, I was recently I was I was asked to sign off on some training for um, for managers for when they when somebody exits the, the organization. And, um, you know, I, I don't have a big team here at the moment. And so therefore, I, I might have somebody leaving my organization once once a year, if that. Um, and so going on a training course to understand what I need to do every time somebody leads is, is, is isn't really helpful. Well, what would be much more helpful is, is um, uh, automated process or, or performance support where, where I could get uh, informed as a, as a manager. If somebody is leaving, this is what I need to do. Here's a checklist. Here's mm -hmm. what you've you got to support. So I think the default option is, always, is often to think of, of a training course solution, and we, we are all, we're all aware of that. And we, we know that we should be smarter around how we diagnose. But actually, mm. my, my lesson 
that I learned in the city was that the people that it's hardest to change their mindset around this is ourselves and learning yeah. professionals. I think the business get it really quickly because they don't have time to waste, you know. Um, but actually, we're, we're so, you know, very good and used to doing certain things. Um, we, the, the hard work is actually with ourselves. So mm. that's, uh, that's where we, we spend a lot of time at City, actually. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I recognise those words um, very well. I was talking to somebody last week just about exactly the same thing, that, uh, that, that it's us. They asked me, how do you sell this approach to, to the business? I was thinking that your business are the least of your worries. When you're yeah. selling them, uh, well, first of all, when you're having the real conversation about what's really going on, providing them the comfort that they are really being listened to, uh, and what you're talking about will actually be addressed, they're with you. It, it is the learning and development folks who believe that that learning looks a certain way, and then there are certain misnomers that I think that we create uh, almost a, mytho- a mythology around learning and development, such as um, there are deep skills or deep learning that can't that can only be developed in the classroom. And you know, you think. Most of the people I've ever worked with have never been on the classes that uh, that 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 we that we are now mythologizing about. They've they've sorted this out for themselves. Now, of course, what with somebody's own um, endeavor to to develop themselves, it's not all about them doing this in isolation. They've also made the connections and been role modeling behavior that they've seen work so so they've not been doing this in isolation they've just often been doing it without us so Mm. so sometimes we mythologize our own abilities and products to such an extent that we devalue what you're describing there as performance support which is as i say it's it's useful stuff at the time it's actually required not Mm. immersive experiences at a time that can be provided when it is convenient to learning and development and the individual that just so happens to be weeks, months or years further down the yeah. line when the need has actually passed. I agree. I mean, the answer, the right answer is the right answer. Like, yeah. you know, and I, and maybe that's, maybe I'm in, I have a little bit of an advantage in that I don't have a, a, you know, 20 year learning career. So mm. I, I'm, I'm pretty matter of fact about the fact that, and I'm not to your point, you know, if, if, if the solution is a very sophisticated, immersive learning experience, then great, you know, um, mm. let's spend money on that and, and the investment, as long as it's the right solution for that. But likewise, mm. if, it's, if it's a really quick win over here and it's, it's a piece of performance support or actually it's not a learning issue at all and it's something for my colleagues in, in, in another part of the organization, we should just do that and, and move mm. on because um, if we keep, I mean, it, it's basically design thinking around, you know, keeping focused on what's important for the end user and what's going to help them with their problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and and so the, our orientation around what our work should be, should be about that. And it, it should, and then this, this is where it's quite a commercial, I suppose, a commercial orientation around uh, where, where this is. And it's not to belittle or to sort of suggest that we don't continue to need um, really strong structured learning and formal learning. We mm-hmm. absolutely do. Um, but it's it's there's a palette of of solutions, um, and I really don't care which one we use as long as it's the right one solving the right problem. Well, let's talk about then what this what this looks and feels like to to the people that you're seeking to influence, whether they we call them employees, end users. Um, you talked about shifting from courses to campaigns, um, uh, and I pulled a quote from uh, from your LinkedIn. Uh, putting social learning at the centre of your work. 
Um, could you describe to us what you mean by these and how it was experienced by employees? Sure. Well, I, I guess when I took on the job at City, um, I got curious about, um, well, maybe I should start again and be a bit more honest. I, I really didn't want to be um, the head of learning for, for City, and I was really had my arm twisted. And when I started the role, I reflected on why was it that I wasn't excited at the beginning about going into the, into the role. And it was because um, the, really wasn't, the stuff that the learning was doing really wasn't relevant to the business. So I got really curious about well, what, what would be relevant and, and started to think about um, and follow uh, certain individuals who were really talking about learning in a different way. Um, I got very friendly with Charles Jennings and, and other folks like him, and, and Charles is a great uh, friend and colleague to this day. Um, and really around uh, how learning happens and um, the fact that informal uh, learning is a huge part of, of, of how we learn and how we develop. And so we put some structure around that uh, using the three E's, which nothing new about the three E's version of 702010, but I prefer it because it doesn't talk numbers. Mm. Um, but really the, 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 the fundamentals is that it gives a, a framework and an, and an orientation around learning through experiences, learning through exposure to others, and learning through the formal education. And so not particularly sophisticated, but actually a pretty robust model to help uh, orientate people around how learning happens. And in fact, that we have great learning opportunities in the flow of work every day, especially mm -hmm. when we work with colleagues and managers who, who also understand that. So we took a, com took a campaign approach really around um, creating room and opportunity in the organization to have a conversation about learning, not the what of learning, because um, the what is becoming, um, it's still important, but it's, it's becoming arguably less important than the how of learning. If we can uh, bring learning agility to the organization, and at AstraZeneca, I'm proud to say we have a CEO who has put learning agility as one of his four enterprise capabilities for, mm -hmm. to, to develop our business strategy. But if we can really support learning agility and help the organization at an individual and collective level um, learn every day and, and get really good at, at learning to learn, then I think, and, and we just happened to take a campaign approach to that at City, which was really just to, um, to help uh, people understand these concepts and then apply them themselves. Um, then you're, you're really getting into an interesting space around learning culture and empowering the organization to, to learn at the speed of performance and, and to, really, to really let go. So we talked earlier in this conversation around the role of L&D. Mm. If, you, if you operate in the space that I've just been suggesting, um, it does require a complete you know, um, 180 you know, turnaround around how you think of, of your work within L&D because you move, you're moving away then from, from primarily uh, developing a training and managing training into a space where you still do some of that, but you're also, um, in, you know, scaffolding learning opportunities and experiences, um, building learning agility and capability within the organization. So you're, it's not just at your door. And it means you have to get out of the way often. Um, mm. And you have to bring new skill sets to the, to the fore, like building communities of practice, community management, um, supporting uh, behavior change, and, uh, you know, these types of outcomes. Um, and you know, it's, it is a choice ultimately around where you want to spend your time. And we just made a choice and we're, we're continuing to do that here at AstraZeneca, which is um, we're going to absolutely support formal learning. 
but we're not going to put all of our efforts into that. We also want to support informal learning and learning in the flow because um, we, if we don't do that and we don't extend out past the classroom, um, we're not doing our job and we're not supporting real learning as it happens. Um, and a lot of this is happening already in the organization. It's just not really classified as such and it's certainly not supported in the right way or acknowledged or best practice isn't, isn't uh, spoken about. And that's what we're going to be doing here in AZ. We're, we're, we're actually going to be, we've started to identify informal learning and best practice in the, in the organization and, and then seeing how we can help one a business uh, team A transfer and shift and share that great learning, informal learning practice to business team uh, B. Mm. So, um, sorry, I've moved around there a fair bit in the answering no. that question, but um, I, I feel strongly that uh, we got to continue to be broad in terms of how we think about formal and informal, and it, but that does require a different skill set and mindset in the L&D function. And I'd like to um, just zero in on that a little bit because you, you talked earlier about uh, you and your team um, having better performance consulting conversations which requires mm. a, a bit of a pivot as much as a, a skill set to, to a pivot from from learning focus to performance focus but but what other development did did you and have you brought your your teams on mm. to get to prepare them again from from those who may have had the traditional L&D apprenticeship to one that is focused on performance uh, addressing learning in the flow of work and uh, a more marketing campaigns approach. What kind of development and areas do you, have you worked on? Um, this is going to sound really basic, but mm-hmm. one of the things we did, the first thing we did was to become great social learners and, and informal learners and continuous learners ourselves as individuals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't teach something and you can't um, advocate for something unless you have experienced it hopefully yourself that's my my belief so one of the things we did um at city was we we worked with jane hart who you you know i'm sure many many listeners will know is a social learning expert um actually i met jane recently in in germany and we reminisced about uh, her starting our us on our journey at city and really we um we be we, we went through a series of workshops with her around um just getting curious about uh, building your own um professional learning network um, we using social social networks uh, around being really intentional um, about uh, creating that network. Uh, you know, working out loud. You know, all of these concepts which we're now familiar with, uh, but but back sort of six seven years ago, we weren't. But it allowed us to be um, to really understand the power and the impact of this as as individuals. So then, as we started professionally to to look to seek to be connectors in the organisation, because that's that's what I believe learning professionals, really ultimately that's our job is to be connectors. Then we could really advocate for that and support that at scale across the organization because we had been advocates or, or sorry, beneficiaries of that ourselves. So that's just one, you know, one example of that. The other, the other thing we did was I hired a marketeer. Uh, so somebody really who didn't come from a learning background, but, but came from, um, actually had worked in, in talent acquisition um, and in, in, in other areas of where, where marketing uh, orientation was, was needed. And she came in and joined our team and, um, and brought a whole new skill set and, and uh, a mindset around and how we go to market and how we engage with people um, and really revolutionized how we, how we, did, how we, went, how we did our work. 
Um, also was a fantastic bridge to internal communications and our internal design studio and, and all of these fantastic colleagues inside the bank who we didn't really have a natural affinity or connection with. So she was able to bridge into those worlds as well. So I think it's a mixture between upskilling yourself, but also forming coalitions and connections with uh, with, with experts in, across the organization who frankly are better at some of this stuff than, than we traditionally are. So if you put those, if you work in those two elements together, then you can probably accelerate your change. And um, that's going to sound really corny now. It's like being the change you want to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you've got to, you've got to show up first and, and do that. And then it's so much easier to, to pull the business with you. If, um, if you're able to demonstrate and show what it feels and what it looks like yourself. And it, it just makes it feel uh, seem much more robust as well, Brian. When you describe it like that, that you have to um, you you have to do this yourself to show that it's not just the um, the the delivery or the provision of of another fad. So much of learning and development is challenged that um, that that the next shiny thing is the is the thing that people jump on. And um, I think that if you, if this is something that that you know has worked for the people in your team, then you can become advocates of it. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with L&D people who have named a, a new and novel thing and said, hey, do, do you do this? What do you think of that? And I ask, is that what you use? Is that mm. is that what you've done? And, and sometimes I get the crass response and I have no word of a lie from an L&D professional had, no, that's not my learning style. Yeah. And you really think, no, you're avoiding this. You're you're yeah. providing you're, you're providing medicine from your people that you don't take yourself. I think that that's got us into a terrible hole as far as e-learning is concerned. Uh, and there are other things as well that we've added on and bolted on that we don't actually go to ourselves when we're looking to either plug a performance gap or help ourselves yeah. progress. I think there's there's absolutely that point around our own personal experience. So we need to. Um, uh, well, I think to, you need to experience it to understand it as well, to really mm. understand it. And then when you really understand it, then you can um, be best placed to uh, to deploy that in the right way and in, and in the right way with, with, with people. The other thing, though, that we're doing probably more of at AstraZeneca in, in my new team is data gathering around um, really understanding what the, what the, the user is looking for, what the organizational needs are, and, and really taking extra time. It's very easy to kind of fast forward and say, well, we know best. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or maybe the CEO knows best or, you know, the, the, the folks who are, who are asking for a, a need to be met know best. But there's, um, there's, a, great, uh, there's a, a great culture here whereby even if that comes down from on top, we have the ability and the right to, to go and seek out um, and gather data around what the reality is on the ground. It takes a little bit longer, but we get the right outcome. And then we play that back to our, our senior leaders here, um, which is, you know, the reality uh, that we're going we're gonna to solve for. And, it, and sometimes that looks very different to the, to the sort of perceived reality. And that applies to solutions as well. So we're creating an agile approach in the, in the, in the company at AstraZeneca around a, a listening strategy that, that continues to evolve as we work through our enterprise capability build. Um, and, and so it's, it's, so to your point, it's, it's absolutely uh, understanding these concepts uh, and, it, you know, tasting, you know, drinking our, our own champagne is, is a phrase we like to use. Uh, uh, and, uh, but also it's about um, just, just spending time 
um, talking to to colleagues uh, about mm. what's going on for them. And and we now have started to institutionalize that. We run in raise the bar sessions where we have um, uh, uh, users and colleagues who give us real time feedback on a, on a range of topics, and we we cycle through those every few months. Um, mm-hmm. And it gives us a very rich data set that we can continue to evolve the offering. So, um, and it goes down very well with our with our uh, business leaders who um, really respect uh, the, the the fact that w- we were able to um, put data sets together that that are uh, a really uh, really strong strong indicators of of the current state as well as um, where we want to go. Because the other thing is being honest about where where our starting point is, um, I, I think is important as well. Uh, so. So yeah, lots to um, reflect on in terms of, um, you know, being humble and not knowing, not thinking we wouldn't necessarily have the answer as we begin mm. pieces of work. Great. Um, and Brian, I'd like to um, talk about reflecting. I'd like to ask you a question about your own um, journey. You've uh, you've recently moved, as you've said, from City, where you were established and successful, to AstraZeneca. Um, and I have a question that I hope will... Um, uh, shed an insight into what it means at a senior learning and development level. I, I mentioned earlier, and I've mentioned on several podcasts, that, um, that, that reaching senior positions, the, the role fundamentally changed for me, the, the conversations, the solutions, the relationships and everything. And I wonder, what's been the challenge and the stretch for you in your new role? Um, I think the it, it's a it's a very it is a very different environment here the city two great companies but but very different uh so city uh was relatively centralized um but both companies incredibly uh, diverse and international but astrazeneca is quite decentralized it's very fast paced very innovative and it's set up um intentionally to be decentralized so a lot of our business units whether that be um our research and development uh um, units or our production units or commercial units um, are, uh, are, have a lot of autonomy to make their own decisions. And that's to, to ensure that we uh, can develop the, the best uh, um, medicines uh, for our patients and as quickly and as successfully as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a real uh, discovery, innov- innovative um, culture. Um, and that's wonderful. It's certainly wonderful from somebody like me who's trying to support a learning culture because it's in the DNA of the place. Where it becomes a challenge is that uh, at a, when, when you do an enterprise role across all of these different areas, federated areas, um, it, uh, it can be a bit of a challenge because you're cutting across um, many, uh, m- many businesses that are quite independent. Mm-hmm. So that's very different. I wouldn't say it's better or, or worse. I think it's just different. And so how you lead in that environment um, needs to evolve. Uh, what I would say, though, is there is pockets of really great uh, best practice. And so our job isn't just to stop things happening and say, listen, this is what you should be doing. And we're doing and do that from the center. It's very much a partnership approach whereby we, we do we are we are bringing in a federated learning model. We haven't had a centralized learning team before. So we're picking our way through that. We're also able to back to my my theme of being a connector, we're also able to identify some really great practice where mm. in certain areas where it makes sense for, the, for this to be baseline capabilities agnostic of business line that we own, we're able to say, actually, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're going to take this from over here and we're going to bring this and scale it and maybe, um, maybe change the, the, the mode of it a little bit, but, but fundamentally leverage the experts that we already have in the company. So I think that's a change um, from, from where we were at, at City. 
Um, so again, not worse or better, just different. I think mm. the the natural DNA of this place, though, is to, to have a, a discovery um, focus. And again, it's how you tap into that, how you always use the language of the organization and the business, not learning language mm. to, you know, I'm sure that's a theme that, that comes through often this bit podcast. And so the other change to finish this um, answer off is that I'm catering here for four very different personas. What I mean by that is, you know, in the bank, um, there's, there's not, it's, you know, you're talk, dealing with um, uh, professional uh, and knowledge-based work, workers who are, you know, give or take, um, uh, are, are fundamentally in a, in a similar profile of, of, of individuals. Whereas here we have, um, you know, we have scientists who are um, incredible, incredible people, incredible subject matter experts, but in a, in a laboratory environment. We have operations people who are um, manufacturing the drugs and packaging them and, and in the warehouse quality, etc. We have commercial folks who are sales guys, usually on the road, uh, working remotely, and we have enabling functions, uh, HR, IT, and so on. So four very different personas. And so as I'm thinking about our learning strategy, which is really for everybody, it needs to touch everybody in this organization and to truly democratize the, the ability to learn every day. We have to keep in mind all of those. There's a lot more than four, actually, but these are the four sort of simple personas. And that's quite a change as well. So really enjoying the, the, this new um, opportunity. This organization is, is incredibly ambitious about learning. It's in the DNA and, and actually the investment and the, um, the real push on, on culture of lifelong learning here comes, comes from the CEO. It's on his scorecard as well. So I'm really lucky to, to be in this environment, not without its challenges, but um, it, you know, again, it's a great learning opportunity for me to, to, be, um, to, to, to develop and execute a learning strategy that's going to be fit for purpose in a very different environment. Some of the things become or continue to I pull through, you know, um, informal and formal learning campaign approach. Some of these elements we, we're we're continuing to do here. We're going to do them differently. Um, we have to land things in a different way because it's a different type of organization. Um, mm. So, so some some things are the same, and other things are very different in terms of environment. But this data gathering and really understanding what's going on under the hood of the organization, I believe, is going to become the secret to our success and. Um, you know, continuing to to be led by what the data is, is telling us uh, is is something that we're going to we're going to build a team around. I think uh, I can't let that one slide without probing a little bit further, yeah. Brian, because it is such a hot topic in uh, um, in learning and development, and something that that I've talked a great length across many podcasts about. That that you're right, and I think that the 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 data element is um, uh, is is a is perfectly. Um, uh, aligned to what you were describing before about speaking and understanding the language of the people that you're trying to support the people and what they are trying to do across those four very distinct areas, starting from a place of uh, of data, which I you know talk to so many people about, helps you to understand what what is a critical point of failure. I mean, I'd say failure because that's often when we get involved, and failure, of course, is relative. Um, 
but when there is a, a critical element to get involved in, I know that uh, that Tracy at Sky, when she talks, uh, she talked on the podcast, said she always starts from a place of data. Mm. Now the data isn't then the map and which you say, right, I can see clearly what's required. As Laura Overton then says, it's there for interpretation, for which evidence-based practice is essential in understanding what people are experiencing in relation to that data. But what do you mean then by data, and what is it that you're doing? To, to understand what's going on in uh, your business with, uh, with data? I suppose there's, there's three things, if I can remember the three. The, the, mm-hmm. the first is um, looking at it from an analytics perspective. So I'm very lucky that one of my peers within the talent center of excellence here is, is the head of workforce analytics. So my boss, who's the head of talent, has brought talent uh, and, and learning and, and workforce analytics together under the one stable. So we have the ability to work with... Um, my my colleagues in the workforce analytics group to to really understand what are the data sources we can we can access and the business data sources as well not just learning because we want to really mm. you know, shift the focus so so that's the first thing in terms of um, um, creating that those different data points and those system data points uh, across multiple platforms so that's the first one the second thing is a lot less sophisticated which is just going and talking to people and creating data. Mm. Uh, from conversations and there's great technology now where you can crowdsource and you can get uh, fantastic input from from folks and we've been doing that the the the, the benefit of doing it that way and and, and adding that into your um the, the sort of system data is that you're you're engaged you're creating engagement and um a cadre of change agents by by reaching out and doing that as well so that's that's the, the second point and i knew i was going to forget the third point um but uh, <laughs> but but it'll come it'll come back to me I'm sure in a second. But I suppose it, it is around um, thinking about how you can um, build it, start building pictures around it. Oh yeah, I know what the third one was. Mm-hmm. If I waffled long enough, the third one then is around. It's just an ongoing continuous process. So for me, it's these are these continuous uh, loops whereby as we're working, we've gathered our data, we've formed an opinion. And to Laura's point, and I dot my dot my cat to to Laura on, on this topic any day. But I, I like the point that she's making around it needs to then how it's being applied and then it then you're gathering that feedback from your users and then looping that back again. So it, I think there's just it's just a continuous um, process. But the the key I think will be in the in going forward is learning professionals who are who who set up these um, who are able to access rich data sets, but then are able to also create their own um, uh, listening strategies. Within that, within the piece of work that they're working on, uh, and then it's up to you know people like me who look at it more in a macro perspective and are thinking, well, what are the two-year cycles that we're going to look at from an enterprise capability uh, perspective that our strategic workforce plan- plans and other data sets are coming in and supporting. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what we're we're not there yet, but we're trying to build is a an agile approach where we're using data from different sets at a micro and a macro level to keep forming pictures and informing our work um, and and I'm sure you know sounds like um, Sky and certainly Laura is 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 great on this uh, I must go back through your back catalog and listen to some of the podcasts and probably learn a few things <laughs> from them um, but but that's that's the emerging picture picture on data because I sometimes when I hear data it's like this is a black box of you know of yeah. uh, ones and zeros um, I, I think it, it, it's about information and knowledge, and um, that comes from multiple sources. And so, it, it, accessing and interpreting that is a key, going to be a key skill 
going forward. But it, I would include in that basically talking to people and and gathering input because the benefit of doing that is you get engagement on the back in the back end, mm-hmm. which you can then leverage when you get to launch phase and, and you're, you're seeking um, change champions in the business. I think the, the black box um, uh, that you just described there is I think it's a it's a common way of perceiving uh, data. The way I like to to describe it, it is it's just about validating or challenging assumptions in our context so many assumptions are thrown at us and we make those and it's about just pausing for thought and instead of taking the order or jumping it's about understanding or seeking the data to either validate or challenge those assumptions Absolutely. now i i realize we're uh, we're coming to the end of uh, um of the podcast brian i've got a couple of questions um the first one i would love to know um especially because of what you've said so far that that you weren't sure about coming into the prof- into the profession that you are refocusing your team uh, from the traditional uh, focus of learning to performance and you brought in a marketeer. So that all added up. What's the state of L&D in your opinion? Well, you're you're ending with a big question, aren't you? Um, (laughs) I think, you know, I was at the Learning Awards the other night um, and I I go to it uh, most years. And like you and your listeners, I'll go to many conferences and so on. I, I, I came away feeling really positive and it wasn't just because mm-hmm. I'd had a few drinks, a few glasses of white <laughs> wine. Um, I, I think the, I was really impressed with the, not just the quality of the winners um, and the nominees, but also the, the categories of awards. So I think LPI did, they have done a great job and Ed has done a great job with that organization. But I think as a reflection of the profession, um, you know, there was an award for business impact. Um, there was, you know, many things you and I have just, spoken about actually it, mm. it seems that i think we're we're making a lot of progress i think uh the organiz- the profession is going uh is going from strength to strength but i don't think we're out of the woods i think i think because of because of the our all, our, all of our sort of human natures to to attach learning or associate learning with schooling and education i, I think that we always just have to continue to to evolve and to continue to um, uh, help uh, colleagues learn, get more curious around learning happens and how that applies, uh, whether if you're working in the corporate sector, how that, that, that lands. And, and thinking about um, the, the, uh, the, the end user and thinking about the, the impact that you're trying to achieve. So I think we're moving in the right direction. I think, still think we've got a ways to go. I think the last few years um, has seen a, a real shift. I think the learning technology space is fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I, I still think most of the providers are, aren't where we need them to be, um, mm-hmm. but I think they're moving at a pace. I think the next few years is going to be really interesting to see who are the winners and losers there and who can really shift and meet the need. So I think it's a very exciting time, um, very exciting time. And uh, I'm sure, you know, as evidenced by the discussions that are happening in this podcast, um, you know, there's a, 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 it's an exciting time to be part of, uh, of the L&D profession. I agree, Brian. I don't think there's been a better time to uh, to join uh, or be part of it. Um, and finally, Brian, if uh, I know that uh, that you are on on social media, you're uh, I, you you sometimes I see you speaking um, at events and uh, and have been published. But if people want to follow you on social, how can they do so? Yep. Um, if you want to get in touch on on, uh, on Twitter at uh, bn murphy fourteen. Um, pretty creative, right? BN Murphy 14. And I'm on LinkedIn, uh, which is Murphy Brian with an I, Brian 1. So Murphy Brian 1. 
uh, on LinkedIn. So yeah, uh, delighted to uh, people want to get in touch to have a conversation and um, um, and add you join join people to my professional learning network. So Jane Hart would be very proud of me that I'm doing that. So being a social learner. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. We'll put the links in the uh, the show notes. Brian, thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. David, my pleasure. Thank you. Examples of progressive L&D practice, which are performance-focused, data-driven, and campaign-led, should be amplified in order to raise the profession. I think this conversation with Brian will help to do this, and I'm sure his example will help anybody who's interested in knowing where to focus their development and their practice. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.